we're more psychologists than we are mechanics. I usually start with, with a lot of questions that have nothing to do with baseball. Try to get in their heart a little bit and try to be positive and, and, um, and then, you know, eventually it leads to, you know, more baseball related questions. And then if I didn't have a couple of bats and I may ask, you know, what was your plan or approach there? What's your, what's your process going to the plate? What are you, what are you trying to do? And just let them talk. Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us. This episode is brought to you by Baseball Cloud. Baseball Cloud's revolutionary software platform brings to life the numbers captured by TrackMan and FlightScope. This provides colleges, players, and facility owners around the world a turnkey product, allowing them to analyze their data using key metrics and custom visualizations on one intuitive user interface. Go to BaseballCloud.com to find out how you can have your own data analytics department for your program. Data has a story to tell, and Baseball Cloud gives it a voice. During this episode, I interviewed Chase Lampin, minor league hitting coach in the Texas Rangers organization. Chase gives us a ton of information about what he learned from being a former minor leaguer and a minor leaguer until age 35. We also talk about pushing players to be their own best coaches, learning from everybody, creating a proper teaching environment, and how we can do a better job of delivering data to players without overwhelming them. You're going to love this episode, and here is Chase Lambin. Chase, welcome to the show. Hey, good to have you here. Oh, absolutely. And a mutual friend of ours, Cody Atkinson, put us in touch and said that you made a huge impression on him in, in his first couple of weeks uh, with the Rangers and, and said that I needed to get you on the podcast pronto. And so I did. And uh, here we are today. But for our listeners and for myself, I'd, I'd love to get to know you a little bit better. So tell us a little bit about your baseball background and why you decided to get into coaching. Played four years of college, two years of junior college. I won two national championships at Grayson County. Uh, Tim Tadlock is our head coach, who's the Texas Tech head coach now. Went to the University of Texas my junior year. Burrito, and then transferred to Louisiana Lafayette my senior year and played for Tony Robichaux. So I played for some tremendously strong coaches and then was uh, fortunate enough to pro ball in the 34th round and uh, got my toe in the door in pro ball and and, uh, was able to string together 13 years of pro ball with the Mets, Marlins, Twins, Nationals, Royals, played in Japan, played a little independent ball at the end for the Sugarland Skeeters and just – Rode it till the wheels fell off, played till I was 35, and, and had such a passion for the game that my last few years playing in AAA, I, I was uh, more of a player coach slash mentor, and I had so much, I got so much enjoyment out of, of mentoring and helping young hitters and navigate the gauntlet of pro ball that I just was a natural transition for me to to put my name out there and try to get a coaching job because I'd, I don't know, I just, the need for people with uh, my skill set that, you know, played the game, has, has uh, the knowledge, but also the ability to, to empathize and get on the level with players and, and just, you know, coach from the heart. Oh, I love that. And, and wow. Yeah. I mean, you talk about the Mount Rushmore of coaches to be able to play for it. <laughs> that would be it. I mean, I, so it, it, let's, let's go a little bit off script here and, and just what are some different things that you took from, from each of those guys? Oh, they're all a little bit different. Tadlock's just as simple-minded as it gets, but he's also a brilliant genius at the same time. He, uh, you know, he just had a way about him that was authentic and genuine and uh, real and consistent. That we, to this day, all 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 those guys still, you know, see him as a father figure. And we're about to, actually about to have our 20-year reunion early November for uh, us winning our first national championship. So we're awesome. all going to get back together and and see him and then uh, Garrido's, uh, you know, legend in himself and master motivator and tremendous baseball mind and then tony robichaux is another titan of a of a man he's more interested in, in developing young men than he is almost winning baseball games which you know at that point in my life when i was very impressionable he made a huge impact on me and just made me a, a better man and it didn't i don't know how i didn't know how big of an impact he made on me until he passed away this summer and everything comes flooding back as to all the things that he that I I've instilled in my life today that mm-hmm. tremendously impactful human being has made a, a ripple effect across baseball with his with his wisdom and 
and his uh, style of coaching. Definitely, and I think we can all look back, and, and you got to play for him, which is unbelievable, but we can all look back and, and see some of the different motivational speeches that he's given and, and seeing those on social media or on YouTube or the ABCA. I think that, that he is obviously will be very, very missed, and, and he's a guy that impacted a ton of lives, even if they didn't play for him. I know he has an impact on me as a coach, and and that, uh, man, that definitely would have been a pleasure to play for him. So definitely that that's a very, very cool story. And let's go ahead and jump both feet into the offseason. We're right smack dab in the middle of it. And a lot of our listeners are college coaches in the amateur level. And, and they're, you know, wondering, Chase, what, what should we be working on? I know that it's a it's a very open-ended question, but what are some of the main goals for the offseason? And, and what uh, advice can you give them? I have a list of goals for the offseason, and all of it involves – uh, learning and growing first off I got to make up for lost time with my wife and kids because as you know pro ball can be a bit of a grind and it, it puts a strain on a family luckily I have an unbelievable wife that's supported and we were together we've been together every step of the way and my family was with me for most of the season this year but uh first goal is to get back and date my wife and mm-hmm. be present and there for my children so um once I get that in place and get a foundation set with that and get a routine where I'm there and, and, and with them on a daily basis, I have a list of things where I just, I, I want to learn and grow. I mean, there's a, there's so much wisdom out there to be garnered if you want to go out and get it. And I feel like that beginner's mind allows me to, to take from everybody, not in a bad way, but to take from anybody that come, everybody has something to offer, whether it be a first year pro player, a college kid, a 10 year big league veteran, or a coach that's coached for 40 years. Like there's just so many people that I want to, tap into i mean one person being cody atkinson our our new hitting coordinator like i can't wait to to bend his ear and, and you know i want to i want to learn from wallenbrock on lot and from lotta and justin stone and I, you know, nobody has it figured out in my opinion and i sure as heck don't and i think that that approach where like i'm not even halfway cooked i'm not even and i'm 20 years into this program and i'm still chomping at the bit to to learn and, and expand my mind to, to help me better help kids grow and, and get better. And I, I read something along the way that made made a lot of sense to me that, you know, you're, you know, you've heard of the white belt mentality, but what resonates for me is being a, a, a mentor and that's a combination of mentor and intern. Like you're constantly like mentoring young men to be better and do better, but you're also an intern when it comes to being open-minded and, and uh, childlike when it comes to to learning and being open to, to anything and everything and you distill it and you you vet it and you find out what works for you but I don't know I think there's a lot of it's very dangerous to think you know it all and the fact that I absolutely do not know it all I think it allows me to go into this off season like every off season and just continue to, to search out knowledge and I think over the course of time that that pays dividends. Oh that's fantastic and I think that that that's something that we can all just learn from as well and, and it's something that we should all do in the off season and I love that you put your wife and kids first because I think that's something that I mean you would know because you're in the pro game but that's something that we all we all as coaches can do a better job of uh, because if we are married and we, especially with kids then we know that we married uh, the right person and a rock star so I love that and and I love that, uh, again, your players are lucky to have you just because you're continuing to learn. And, and you said that you're 20 years into the pro game and you're still thirsty to learn. And, and I love hearing that about you. And and so let's say that you're in the off season and you guys are going over your player reports and, and you're going over video. What are some of the, th- the first things that you look for within a swing? So we all have biases that we, we kind of look for first and and whenever we're going over video, we kind of go to this or that. Uh, but where do you kind of start? Uh, if you're going to go straight to video, I'd, I'd probably my my two pillars of the, the the mechanics would be would be balance and direction, and you can branch off from there in a thousand different directions. But I feel like if you're in a strong foundation and you're in a, a athletic position at at launch, and you can keep your direction with your hand and barrel, direction can be uh, interchanged with path. So you're matching angles, you're getting on plane, you're keeping your barrel going through the pitcher, you're controlling your shooter, stuff like that. I think that's where I key in on. I'm not, I try not to have biases. I try not to be so, I don't know. I, I look at, I look at a swing and I look at a player as just a, as an open canvas of like, you know, there's no right and wrong. There's what does and does not work. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't really ascribe to absolutes. I don't think that there's one, 
there's a way that you have to do it. I think there's ways that I feel like are most efficient, but I'm also open to, open to allow guys to be their, their natural selves. And then, you know, every swing's a snowflake. So I go at it that way. I look at it as if it's this, this it's individual once in a, you know, once in a lifetime swing, because it's never going to be, there's no swing and the same as mine or yours or anybody else's. So it's, I try to look at it as a way of, of not so much what they're doing wrong. It's what I can do to, to enhance their swing. Like I'm not really trying to fix or change. I'm trying to just enhance what they do naturally well and minimize inefficiency. So it's, I kind of go at a diff, at it a different way probably than most. I think some people can probably, you know, everybody has their process and, you know, but before I even get to the video, I mean, way before I want to crunch video, like I, I've got to build a relationship before I can build a swing. And so, Wonderful. you know, if we ask where I start and where I start is with conversations and observations. And, and I start with asking questions and just mm-hmm. trying to get inside the, the head and, and the process of, you know, that hitter and, you know, how a swing tells you very little of the story when you're looking at a, at a hitter and especially mm-hmm. at the, at the pro level, cause there's so many layers that come into play for me before the, the actual movement pattern. So, so when you say, where do I start? I start with, with just building a, a relationship and understanding the, the, the kid first. And then, you know, obviously I'll, I'll start to dive into the, into the video and try to come up with certain plans of attack. If there needs to be a plan of attack. And, you know, I, sometimes I'm, I'm waiting in the wings for, for the right timing. And, and that's, that's, for, for any of the coaches listening, for, for me, the most powerful thing a coach can say is nothing at all. Mm-hmm. You know, everything is timing. Everything is feel as to when, when the student's ready, the teacher will appear. You know, that's the, a student that's not ready to learn isn't going to hear what you had to say. So it's, it's, it's just timing and feel. And you have your, you're armed with information. You're armed with a plan of attack. But you know, sometimes that doesn't really present itself right when you start looking at the video. So it's, Every hitter's different, man. I, I I try not to bulldoze my way into some kid's swing and, and try to fix them or make them swing the way I think he should. I tread lightly when it comes to that. So, one, I love your process, and you couldn't have hit the nail on the head any better or at least struck a chord with me more than balance and direction. And, and I, <laughs> it's, it's funny that you say that because I think – that this off season I boiled uh, everything down to that, and it's something to make it simple, but you can add layers of complexity within that, and and there's so many, and like you said, building a relationship with them, and and some of the guys that you're that you're working with, they've been swinging that same way for 22, 23, 25, 30 years, and I mean it, it's another thing to build that relationship to to see why, and I think that that I loved hearing you say that, and so. Let's say that you get somebody that's called up from double A and they're coming up and, and you're trying to strike a chord and, and build that relationship with them. Are there any things, are there any go-to questions that you have or just kind of walk us through what that process looks like? Because, you know, just I think emotional intelligence is huge in our game and, and being able to read people not only with their body language, but also uh, how they answer questions, their different tones and different things like that. And so it's something that I'm really interested in. And, and so what's your process behind that? And, and take us through it. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. We're, we're more psychologists than we are mechanic. You know, we're, we're uh, I usually start with, with a lot of questions that have nothing to do with baseball. I try to ask about their siblings or their parents or if they have a girlfriend or where they're from, where they play college ball. And usually I can, I'm kind of like Kevin Bacon, where like if you name a school or a team or anybody in baseball, there's you know, there's some sort of seven degrees of separation between me and that that person. So I can usually find common ground and common friends or coaches or players and and just try to try to get in their heart a little bit and try to you know be a, be positive and and um, and then you know eventually it leads to you know more baseball related questions. And then if I didn't have a couple of bats and. I may ask, you know, what was your plan or approach there? What's your, what's your process going to the plate? What are you, what are you trying to do? And just let them talk, let them express themselves and try not to interject with, you know, what I think, you know, a lot of people just want to hear what they have, what they have to say, but I want to hear what they have to say. Cause the more I can hear them talk, the better I can understand them. So I just keep the questions going until I have a pretty good grasp of the way their mind works. And then usually when I can understand how a guy's mind works, it starts to put the pieces together as to why their body is doing certain things. And, it's not like a, it's not an exact process for me. I think it's mainly just getting to know them on a human level and then trying to understand how they're, how they go about their, uh, their at bats. Definitely. And by the time that they get to you, I mean, they, they've obviously had a ton of success and they're probably in the top 10% of baseball players in the world. And, and that may be, you know, part of their, part of their issue is the pitchers are getting better and better. And, 
and you're seeing some different issues with their approach and you talk with guys about on just a pitch by pitch basis or a daily basis. I mean, take us through what a conversation like that would look like. Are you, are you trying to set them up or are you trying to see uh, using their different reports on and trying to share that with them? I mean, I'd, I'd love to hear you've talked about approach a couple of times and what does a conversation like that look like with a player? That's kind of my sweet spot is playing an approach and creating clarity. I, 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 I played a lot of years with subpar talent because I felt like I could create, clarity in my mind and compete with conviction and trust. And, and I, that's what I try to impart on, on my hitters who have much better engines and better, you know, or dealt a much better hand than I was. So, it's, you know, it's, my sales pitch is like, look, with your Ferrari engine, like if we could just have you think the way like I did, then, you know, you got a chance to make a hundred million dollars in this game. So you start to give them a, you know, a fight plan is what I call it. Like, how do you, I was always told by coaches, you gotta, you know, you gotta have a good plan and approach and they pat you on the back can walk away and they don't have anything else for you. But I have, I have, I mean, I have, I have things on paper that it's hard to explain over the phone, but like there's a, there's a process where like, you know, the, you know, first thing, the situation, it was the situation called for. And the first fork in the road for me before anything else can happen is mentality. I'm a big believer in the the mind game of, of you're either the hunter or the hunted. And if you're, if you're trying to just survive and it doesn't matter how good your timing is or your pitch selection or even your swing, Mm -hmm. that if you're, if you're the, if you're the prey, then you don't have a chance. So like just getting a guy to understand that alone to have the self-awareness of like, how are you getting into the box? Are you getting into the box ready to do damage? Or are you just trying to like roll dice and hope for a hit? So getting the guys to kind of self-evaluate and understand that there's, you know, there's tigers and there's rabbits and there's no rabbits that play in the big leagues are consistently rabbits. So obviously we all kind of go back and forth between, between tiger and rabbit. But if you have the self-awareness to know when you're being a rabbit and you can kind of turn that thing around and get it, where you get in the box with clarity and intent and whose plate is it? You know, there's an invisible battle every at bat where it's the pitcher and you fighting for whose plate is it? Whose territory is it? If you're not ready to throw down, like the rest is irrelevant. So it kind of starts there. And then from there it goes into, you know, what, what's your strength in the strike zone? Where are you looking? Where are you hunting in the zone? If they just say, I'm looking for a good pitch to hit, like that's not clear enough. That's a very vague, generic approach. That's, that's going to, not be consistent. So we start to break down, you know, where they've had success, where they think they like it, where the numbers show they like it, where the heat maps show they, they do damage and you start to tailor, you know, what part of the zone they're, they're hunting and what speed they're hunting. Like they've got to be able to say, I'm hooking fastball middle away. And then, okay, now, now the next step for me is your approach. Like where in the field are you not necessarily trying to hit it, but you're thinking, are you thinking Mm -hmm. right center? Do you think center? Do you think left center? Do you think pitchers knees? Do you think over the batter's eye? Like there's all these, like I call them like crosshairs, like where are your crosshairs? Like where are you, you know, where's, what's your intent right now to do with the baseball? And I'm not necessarily trying to steer it that way, but for timing purposes, like where do you need to think to be on time and take your A swing? And then, so then we go into, I think right center. So I'm fast all middle of the way. And, and there's, you start to give them options. You start to give them to where they're tailoring it. And they're, so they have ownership and they understand that there's, there's strengths within the zone that not all strikes are created equal, that there's some terrible strikes in the strike zone to swing at. Like if you're, you don't handle the ball up, like if you're consistently swinging the balls up and you're, you're not giving yourself the best chance. So get letting them kind of figure out what their strengths are and to have that clarity to hunt those strengths. And then you start to tie in the pitcher's tendencies. And I mean, you can, you can get a little more deep in the weeds, but when, you know, when I'm, I was coming up in a ball and stuff, I just wanted the guys to, to have clarity to either look middle up, middle way, middle, middle, middle up, middle down, left center, right center, center, right. Like pick from the checklist, pick your things and then, and then go to work. And, and the last thing I want them to understand is that there's a internal throttle that we have as hitters that, you know, there's, you know, say threes, if there's three, two, one, threes, extra base hits, two line drives, one contact. Depending on the situation, depending on what type of hitter you are, you've got to understand where your throttle needs to be. You know, if you're ahead in the count, obviously, and you have a chance to hit for extra bases, you need to be on three. You know, if you're a slap hitter and you don't have any power, like being on three is not your best your best number. So understanding like what kind of player you are, where you need to, uh, you know, when you need to put the one wood away and pull out the seven iron. You know, if you're O2 and the runner on third less than two outs, like you can't have the one wood out. Like you've got to put the one wood up and pull out the seven iron. Like you've, mm-hmm. you've got to adjust. And it's not a, it's not so much a physical adjustment of choking up and playing pepper. Like you're just mentally throttling down. So you start to give these guys those 
my, my analogy is either you can go to the plate with a compass and it's really generic, or you can go to the plate with Google maps. Like you can and get really clear with where you're trying to go and what you're trying to do because anxiety stems from lack of clarity. You know, clarity creates composure. Mm-hmm. So if you go to the, if I told you to go to Starbucks and I pointed a certain direction and gave you a compass and you start heading that way and you come across some woods and the sun goes down and you're stuck in the middle of the woods, like how freaked out would you be? <laughs> You know what I mean? Like you'd be, you'd be building a fire wondering if you're going to live through the night, like as opposed to me giving you these specific directions of, you know, go down this road, take a ride at the light, go two miles. And then, you know, you're at Starbucks. So I think a ton of hitters at whether it be triple a or high school go to the plate with a compass. And it's just such a vague, generic hope for the best head in a certain direction and hope you hit your target. Like that's, that's just not clear enough. So I constantly preach, you know, having clarity and, you know, painting a picture in your mind, uh, you know, what you want to happen. What are you expecting to happen? What's your intent? And so through these conversations and through talking, like guys start to have more clarity and it's crazy what they're able to do when they go to the plate and they have that type of conviction and trust. No, you get me fired Sorry, up I got a little long, long-winded there. Yeah, I, no, got, I, I got a little long-winded there. I know, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. Like I'm ready to, to hop the box and, <laughs> and, uh, and go to battle. But the whole time that, that you're talking about that, there was a couple of things that, that came to my mind. And, and the first one was I've been guilty of that too, of just saying have an approach here. And it's something that I think that we can all look back and go, man, did I actually go over an approach with them? And, and that's so awesome to, to hear you go so in-depth with that because, number one, you're giving them a, a clear, you know, you, like you mentioned, clear direction, and so you're freeing them up to not have to think about all of the different situations so now they can think about a certain situation. So it frees them up mentally. Mm-hmm. But it also it, it took me back to there was a video that, that Warstick put out a couple of years ago, maybe a couple of years ago, maybe last year, but it had Ian Kinsler and Brian Holiday, and they were just talking about clarity of focus and the breath. And I don't know mm-hmm. why, like you talking about that, have you seen that? And, and I mean, that, that just, your conversation made me think of that entire video. I have not seen that. No, it's, it's, it's really not. good. And, and it's literally like all of the stuff that you were talking about, they were talking about. So I have to send that, send that to you. Uh, whenever we get off of the mic, but, but yeah, it, it's just really good. And, and you got me fired up. I'll, I'll tell you that. And the common thread between Ty Cobb and Mickey Mantle and Ty and Mike Trout is that it's their mental clarity. It's their approach to the plate. It's the way they dig in the way they think and the way they compete with clarity. Like that's the common thread. Like you can break down their swings from here to kingdom come. And you're, you're going to find a lot of differences in their swings. You'll find some commonalities, of course, but there's a lot of guys with really good swings that don't get out of a ball because of that, because of that, they missed that first fork on the road. And then from there, they can't have the clarity to execute anything because they don't even have a picture in their head of what they're trying to do. Absolutely. It's not a game plan. Absolutely. Hope is never a plan. A plan. Right. No, absolutely. And, and I, I love that. And, and again, you don't, we, we probably can't and don't talk about approach enough. And, and uh, I'm sure that's something that you guys go over in your pregame meetings. And that's something that you guys are going over constantly, but, yeah, it's, I can tell that that's a passion for you, of yours, and, and that's something that gets you fired up too, but definitely the same uh, with me. And, and you know, another thing that, when it, let's just go with uh, whenever you get a, a new guy again, and you're, or you've got some guy that's struggling with confidence, because and, and every level that you move up is going to beat you down, whether that's mm-hmm. you know middle school to high school, high school to JUCO, JUCO to D1, D1 to pro ball, and every level of pro ball, you know, what's that conversation look like with, within that? And, and, uh, take us through that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's where the, my years and years of not being all that good come into play where I have a, a treasure trove of empathy because I mm-hmm. do completely understand how hard this game is. I had, I had 5,000 at bats where I was fighting for my life, every single one of them, where I felt like it was the last at bat of my life. So I, I, and I've been through the one for 38. I've, I've been released. I've been demoted. I've, I've been through all that. So I think, I think sometimes all a hitter needs to hear sometimes is they're not alone. And I feel like when I was playing, like I, I felt constantly alone when I did have doubts and fears and anxieties. And I felt like I was the only one battling those. And I felt like if I did bring it up, I was just told I was a puss or I was stop your bitching. Like, you know, whatever the generic old school mm-hmm. transactional type coaching comments would be. So I just, I internalized it and I went along and I deal, dealt with it as best I could, but I feel like squaring it up and looking it in the eye was, that was what helped me the most. And I think when someone else that's been around and been through the gauntlet and gone where you want to go, looks you in the eye and says, dude, that shit's real. Like that, those anxieties and doubts and fears, like that box is a lonely place. And there's, there's, it's a real, 
it's a real dragon to try and slay to come out every night and try to try to hit a baseball for a living. So I think just getting on the level with a player and letting them know that they're, they're not alone. They never will be alone. I think kind of takes away a bit of that, that doubt they have in their mind. And I think then from there, you just have conversations and try to get them back to the, you know, what's what's given them success, you know, we'll go back to the, the basics. If you want to call it that, like just try to get them back on their, on their path. Like as, as coaches, we're, we're more guardrails than we are mechanics. We're just trying to get guys down the road, by kind of bumping them back in the lane they need to be in. Like we're not mm-hmm. doing, we're not working miracles. We're just guiding people towards their best self. Like that's the way I see it. Like we're, if there was at a, for the NASCAR race, I'm the spotter up in the tower that has a direct line to the, the driver's ear where mm-hmm. I'm, I can see the turn two or two turns ahead. Hey, go high on turn, turn four. I'm not going to take you in the, in the shop and rebuild your engine. Like we're in a freaking race right now. That's what in pro ball, like we're, you're in the fight every night. Like you can't go rebuild an engine and expect to win a race. Like you you got to be on the track. So I think, sure. you know, it's such a different animal when you come, when you compare like people that, that run baseball academies and God bless them, they're brilliant people, but it's just such a different animal when you're training hitters in the off season in a cage versus training hitters in the fight. Like we're, we're like the battlefield medic. Well, all we have is a duffel bag and some, some, <laughs> some tape and we're, ta- we're, ta- we're taping arms back on and getting guys back out in the fight. Like they're, I love that. Like they don't have time to put them in a, through an MRI machine and, and do all kinds of testing. And, uh, it's just, it's, um, I think the fact that I have that, that experience, I think it helps me just be real with guys, man. It's, it's hard. And sometimes, sometimes I don't have the answer. There's not, sometimes there isn't an answer. Sometimes it's just part of the baseball experience is getting your teeth kicked in. Like you've got to, weather the storm like on the other side of pain is growth so sometimes pain is exactly actually what i want them to feel like I, as bad as I, I don't like them to struggle but i know that they have to because that's when they're primed to learn and grow so it's sometimes I, i'm just a, a a ear for them and a shoulder to lean on and then and then from there i, I let them feel it and we, we get to work no it's you can it's coming through the microphone that you would be an awesome guy to play for and, and somebody that I know you understand the swing but talking about approach and talking about mentality talking about confidence I mean that that's stuff that I know for a fact gets undertaught at every almost every level and and something else that that I really that I've taken an interest in lately and that's you know making better decisions at the plate which somewhat ties into uh, what you're talking about with approach and uh, mentality and confidence how do you help players make better decisions? Because I think that it's a skill that can be learned. And I think that innately, especially with guys coming up and down, uh, the guys are going to be throwing better strikes more often in AAA than they are at the lower levels. And so how are you helping your guys transfer or or translate what they want to swing at, what they don't want to swing at? Because guys are throwing almost 100 with 92 mile an hour sliders and they're tunneling it. I mean, we can watch the playoffs and it just amazes me how we ever even make contact but how are you helping guys making better decisions, maybe based on who they are, but also what the pitcher's giving them? And just walk us through that process. You're exactly right. You got to create the environment to teach. You got to train it. You can't just, as much as I love a plan and approach, like you can't just show up at seven and, and have a bunch of clarity and expect to make good decisions. Like there's a there's a process through the entire day that, that that's part of our training. And that's what I try to design each practice to have some sort of component that has decision-making intertwined. Like, cause okay. it's so it's, it's paramount. Like if you, if you make bad decisions, like you're not going to have success. There's a, you can have the best swing in the world, but if you're continuously swinging at low percentage pitches, you're going to have low percentage results. So for me, I, I, it starts in the cage with short overhand. I'm not every guy has a, the same amount of threshold. So some guys are for it. Some aren't, but like I, I do short overhand from 20 feet away and I'm, I, I may throw balls and strikes with just a fastball. And then some guys ask for, you know, they want sliders from that close mixing in and in mixing them randomly, which is very challenging, but you've got to create friction to, to have growth. So I, mm-hmm. I let the guys kind of dictate how much friction they want in the cages, but on the field, I dictate the level of friction. And so when we go on the field, the way we had to set up this year that we did double barrel two plate DP. So we had two people hitting at one time, which allowed for a ton of, you know, high focus swings on the field, but each side, each side of the wedge or each side of the, you know, was a different thing every day. Like we didn't have a traditional batting practice all year. It was, it was something different every day to where it was fastball machine with angle, fastball machine with no legs, fastball or slider machines. But the decision-making 
with the dead arm with the regular coach's BP from short distance where you're, you're just throwing sliders intermittently. And the, the tent is to just take it. Like you don't have to hit it. Just recognize that it's spinning forward and not backwards and mm-hmm. check off. And at first the guys were awful. And, you know, with two plates, you know, you can't put the turtle up and cover two plates. So there's balls flying into the parking lot. It's really <laughs> ugly. And then, you know, guys would hit two fastballs on the nose. They'd, you know, they'd get fooled by a slider and then they couldn't hit a regular BP fastball because that seed had been planted. So it kind of mm-hmm. proved to them that you're in between. You saw something that planted a seed. You saw a slider in two in the afternoon and BP. And now you can't hit a regular BP fastball because you're so worried about, you know, what if he throws a slider? So it gets the guys to understand that you can't be in between. You've got to commit. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that, that allows them to slowly but surely figure out how to commit and then make decisions in real time and how to get in a position to, to, to check off. And then even using the machines, there's a way to make it a decision is where if I'm shooting fastballs at the belt, if I tell the guys, I would say, hey, get it below the belt. We're facing a high spin rate guy tonight. Like you've just got to give above the belt and attack below the belt. And then you set it right at the belt, let them hit a couple, and then you, you're, you turn the little hack attack thing to raise it or lower it, and you raise it up and down. And you go belly button down to the thigh, back up to belly button, belt high, and you start to make it a decision round where they're, they're hitting fastball machine, which is good in itself to, to, be able to, to, to be able to figure out how to hit velocity, but you, make a, mm-hmm. you put a decision component into it. So you just try to tie decision-making into every drill you do. Like you just – you don't – just feed balls down the middle. Like whatever you're feeding the hitter, whether it be flips, short overhand, machine, like you just mix it. You've got to mix up. They've got to be able to take. And we spend 99% of our time working on our gas pedal when half the time in the, in, in the season or in the big leagues, half the pitches you see, you're, you're not swinging. You're, you're right. putting on the brakes and the, mm-hmm. the best hitters are the best takers. So you start to train taking. And that became our standard. Like we just did that every day with different forms of, of uh, decision-making and it made, it made a lot of difference. No, absolutely. And something that, that I think you, you hear from even the grassroots up and, and I don't know if you use this particularly, but something that, that I talk about a lot is, is we want to make one decision and that's no, like we don't, we don't want to make, totally. the we don't want to make the in-between totally. decision. And, and that's like, you're talking about, they start guessing and instead of just hitting and, and yeah. so if we're constantly on yes, yes, yes mode, we're going to be more aggressive and we're going to be on time for the fastball. And then if we see something funky, we just say no and we shut it down. And, and that's But that's something that, that even you guys are going over, so it's obviously not, not taught well enough at, at my level and, and the levels below. But <laughs> I, it's, it's like you mentioned, it's paramount, and we've got to be able to shut it down when we need to. It's crazy how hard it is to sell that and – whether it be college, A ball, double A, or triple A, I think it's human nature that your the human body wants to protect itself. So it doesn't want to be embarrassed. It doesn't want to be made to look stupid. So swinging at a slider in the dirt is embarrassing. So I think it's what I spend probably 80% of my time is, is, is preaching and getting guys to commit that 99% committed isn't enough. That 1% is going to take over. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we don't put our toe in the water. We jump both feet in. I give guys the analogy that I committed to my wife knowing that she could steal all my money and she could cheat on me and break my heart. That doesn't stop me from committing to marrying her. Like I don't think of the worst case scenario and not commit. I committed to my wife knowing that she could do that. Like that doesn't, it's the same with hitting. I I could get fooled here. I could roll over on this, but I'm surrendering the outcome. I'm surrendering the fact that this may go terribly wrong, but I'm trusting the fact that it's going to go terribly right. Like I'm painting the picture. I'm fully committed. My safety's off. I'm green light. I am absolutely swinging at this pitch because it's going to be right where I envision it being because I've seen it happen in my mind. And then when it doesn't happen that way, my body stops. Like that's the right. The only decision to make is no, that's it. Like, so, but it's easier said than done. And as a hitter, I know, I know that feeling of the gosh, darn it. What if he throws the slider? What if, you know, the what if tree starts to grow and Mm -hmm. it's hard to, it's hard to unplant that tree sometimes. Oh, definitely. And and, uh, you're hitting the nail right on the head or, at least something that, that I'm definitely all in on and, and something that, again, the least amount of thinking that we can have them do in the box, the better. And you talked about that earlier with clarity and purpose and conviction. And we're also talking about with that, with decision making and making one decision versus yes, no, or maybe. 
I think yep. will we'll just clear it up for them, especially when they when they've got a, a ton of stuff going on. And another thing that that I try and do all the time, and, and that's just compete. And you, you've got a long season. I mean, you guys are playing over 150 games in a very condensed schedule, and you rarely have days off. And and so I'm I'm sure that there are things that you do to throw a wrench into it and say, hey, let's let's have a competition with this or that. And and so, what are some different competitions that you guys do, and and what can I steal from you? Oh, we, we, we are always competing. That's kind of my thing I got from Pete Carroll. I mean, if you, if you create an environment where competition is, is normal, you wouldn't believe the results you get just by doing that alone. When you make, when you make the preparation and the training as competitive as the game, it's like a, getting a running start into, comp, into the actual competition. Where like, if, if we're already beating each other's ass at 3 in the afternoon, what are you going to do with us at 7 o'clock? Like that, we've, already, we've already done this all day. Like Y'all are trying mm-hmm. to get the switch the flip the switch and we've already had a flip since three in the afternoon the there's different things to do in the cages we you know we'll use rap soto sometimes to you know whether it be active velocity between 15 and 25 degrees or you know make it spin less than 1500 mm. different things like that but the, my favorite one that i've done for years now and i do it anytime i feel like the guys just need a light-hearted uh day where they're not really having too much um friction what i call in the field they're not nothing too challenging it's a one three five game where you set up the field. It could be dead arm. It could be a fastball machine. Whatever. Nothing. Nothing too challenging. But the the gist of it is that you pick something in the gaps, whether it be a light pole or an advertisement, and that's the new foul pole. To where anything between the foul poles in the middle of the field is is three points and five points. Three points for over 90 miles an hour that hits the grass. Anything that goes over the fence is five points outside the foul poles. The new ones all the way to the foul lines. The actual foul lines are ones and threes. You're rewarded for staying in the middle of the field. You're rewarded for impacting the baseball and driving it. You know, the little guys can stack up threes up the middle. The big guys can, can go fives and threes, uh, depending. And then you start to maybe add little wrinkles. If you hit the top of the cage, it's minus three. You know, there's money balls at the end that are worth double. I tend to always have it be a draft style to where you pick two players you know, a Latin player and and some other player, and they they pick the teams. And there's something to be said about a a playground life lesson to where it doesn't matter if you're a first-rounder. If if you're not going to help that team win, you're going to get picked last. So I've seen first-rounders get picked last, and it's it's an eye-opener. Like, the Mm first-rounder has always been told he's the best, but now when his peers are picking a team to win a competition (laughs) to, you know, get a $10 Chipotle card, I mean, they're taking it dead serious. They'll slit your throat for a Chipotle card, so they're – they make their teams and you put them in there and you put them all in there to hit at the same time and you draw up the, the round however way you want it. But by the end of it, I mean, they are absolutely climbing on the cage, going nuts, competing their, their, their nuts off. And it's, it's, uh, it's my favorite way to get them to, I mean, it trains intent, it trains direction, it trains competitiveness, it trains a ton of things without me having to freaking blab my mouth and just let the, let the environment uh, teach them. No, and that's, you know, that's something that, that I, the more I get into skill acquisition and the more I read about good coaches like that, whether it's like Greg Popovich, whether it's Pete Carroll, like you mentioned, they're all setting up an environment to kind of back away and, and let the players do it because uh, psychologically, I mean, and they're, it's going to be fun, so their brains are going to be engaged, and then they're competing yep. against their friends who now they've got bragging rights for the rest of the day or the rest of the week or whatever it yep. is, and then you're taking mm-hmm. a mundane task, which is BP, and making it fun. I mean, I, I don't know why yep. more people wouldn't want to do that, and, and that's just, yeah, setting up an environment and getting out of the way, I think that's huge. You're totally right. We, we, we rode it one year all the way to the playoffs. We did it the last, like, I think, 15 games of the season just because we were winning we were having fun everybody was kind of gassed like we were just trying to not get to the season because we were in the playoffs but it it's so powerful like you said to, to just create an environment to allow guys to let your body organize itself like mm-hmm. I, I can i can explain to you how to hit but you have to the best way to for me the beautiful beautiful thing is when guys figure it out on their own and that's i think the most the retention level when you figure mm-hmm. it out yourself that's right. It's so much longer and more powerful than me telling you to do something, you doing it, and then you kind of feeling it, and then you move on. Like, I don't know. There's there's probably science and math behind, or not math, but science behind that too. Oh, definitely. And it's it's something that whenever they get to the big leagues, they don't have to go. Man, what did, what did Chase say? What what did he tell me about this? They rely on their on their feels and their thoughts of what happened whenever Chase yes. set up that environment for them. They're their, they're their own coach. That's what I tell them. Like, I want you to be your own best coach. I want you to be to the, get to the point where you're not hunting me down to tell you how to, to get you right. Like, 
create your own tool belt, you know, to, to help yourself. Mm-hmm. Like here's the tools for you to use, take them and pick them up and make them your own. Right. And I don't think that there's something that's more gratifying as a coach or as a, as a teacher or, or whatever our professions are as when somebody that we're trying to help comes up with their own stuff and they're like, Hey, I, so I saw this and, and I want to try it. Or I really, I was feeling this the other day and this is what I felt. And this is, you know, this is the objective behind it. I'm like, good, let's go try it. Let's go. Great. See, you know? And, yeah. and I, th- I think that that's whenever they're owning their career, I think that uh, obviously the sky is the limit. And, and, uh, so let's, let's go over a little bit of individual development. You've, you've talked a lot about the environment, which, it sounds like it's it's a fun environment to be around, but it's also it's something that's competitive and, and it's something that I'm, I'm sure those AAA guys are absolutely loving it. But from a development side, how you've got a ton of guys that you're working with and you may only have a short period of time to work with them. Plus, they're on mm-hmm. one of the biggest stages in the world and they're trying to compete against mm-hmm. guys that are throwing fuzz and spin and striking out guys at a, a historical rate. So how do you how do you balance you know, the, the individual priority with, or individual development priority uh, within the team setting while trying to win and help, helping them to compete every night, because that's, <laughs> that is a lot easier yeah. said than done. It's a, it's a delicate balance. And you're right. There is, there's, there's winning involved. There's a team aspect. You're trying to preach an organizational message across the board, but there's also individual plans. I mean, and I think creating those individual plans and sitting down with each individual hitter and going over what they're, deficiencies are what their strengths and weaknesses are and being clear as to what they need to work on mm-hmm. i think is the first step and then those are those are one-on-one individual meetings and then from there you tailor the uh you know the routine part of the day which is you know we have two hours of the cage in the cage before we go on the field that and you can block out 20 minutes for three hitters you know and you rotate them through each day to where you're having three hitters you know it's not exactly one-on-one but you have a time to, to get a little one-on-one conversations. They go through their routines. There are certain drills that, that, that help them with whatever they're, they're happening to be working on at the time. And then that's the time of the day where it's a little more individualized. You know, then once you get on the field, it's pretty much, you know, this is what we're doing today. And there's just constant conversations that, that are organic and they come up in the, the food room, they come up in the dugout. And, you know, I'm always privy as to what they're working on. And so if I see an opening to talk about, you know, individual development and what they're doing and what they can do better, then, then we have a conversation about it. But it's, it's not an exact science. But I think creating the routines during the day combined with the, the, the challenging BPs and then, um, you know, tailoring their individual fight plans is, is the way I go about it. Oh, I, I love that. And, and again, it's it's a delicate balance and it's not something that I've had to do on your level. And it's something that I think is, is extremely interesting because, again, there's you don't have an offseason with an entire group of guys like guys on the amateur level. And, and so you're trying to balance development and winning and competing against the pitcher and them trying to get to the big leagues all at the same time. And plus, yeah. a, a, man, a, just a, a myriad of other factors within that. And so that's uh, that's something that that thank you for that advice. I think that's that's fantastic. And so another thing that that has been increasingly popular is data. And there's always been a question that I really like to ask because we have so many different players from different backgrounds, from different educational levels, from uh, different languages. And so mm-hmm. having a plan and approach uh, with data and and how to and, I, and what I've said lately is how, do, how can we filter it to the player based on what their needs are? But it's, mm-hmm. again, it's a lot easier said than done. And so what's your advice on on that? Because the last thing we want to do, and especially come me knowing you for the last two hours, you don't want to lock up players. You want to give them clarity and focus. So what are your thoughts mm-hmm. on how to help them through that? Because if we give them an iPad and tell them these are their numbers, it's just going to lock them up. Uh, so what, what are your yeah. thoughts behind that? Yeah, the last thing I want to do is muddy the waters, and I, and I think that's my, my main job is to distill information and give it to them in digestible chunks, and, and everybody has a different level of aptitude, and, and I have to be able to understand that, and, and I've, I've made mistakes, and I've given too much information to players that don't know what the heck any of it is, and to me, it seems simple, like, you know, this is your OPS on fastballs up, and I'm explaining, I'm explaining that they need to swing at, you know, balls middle down, and then I get done talking for 10 minutes, and the kid says, what's OPS, and I say, well, poop. I'm sorry. I didn't know that you did. You know, that's, uh, right. that's on baseball yeah. slugging. So that's okay. So where I show a heat map and heat maps, a bunch of colors that, you know, maybe a kid from Cuba doesn't understand what heat maps are even trying to tell them. 
So I have to keep going simpler and simpler until, uh, you know, to, for example, I had a, a hitter this year that was Cuban and he loved the ball up and he looks for the ball up, but he doesn't hit the ball up. And I keep telling him like, you know, fastballs or pitches up and in, you swing a hundred percent of the time. And you know, this is your OPS and it's like yeah. 200 and he's oh, just smiling and looking at me like, you know, I love it. So I'm like, finally, I come to him with batting average. I think everybody speaks the universal language of batting average, even though batting average is a, you know, antiquated old stat, everybody still gets it. So when I say you swing every time here and you bat zero, finally, he looked at me and was like, oh my gosh, like I, I never get a hit when I swing there. I'm like, no, never. I I do not swing there. And then, so finally the next day, like he takes a pitch up in the zone. I'm like, after, you know, six conversations and 60 games i'm like well you know my dumb butt should have just done that from the beginning so <laughs> just things like that where you're you're just trying to get them to understand their strengths mm-hmm. to allow them to have the better clarity and then you know there's there's different ways to to give information there's there's track man data there's you know there's strengths within the zone there's different speed different parts of the field that they do or don't hit well it i mean you're just trying to put the puzzle pieces together and you know every hitter you take the information and you see how you can maybe give them some a simple piece of advice and you go to them and try to keep it as succinct and clear cut as possible. Mm-hmm. And you have them go, go to, go to battle. The last thing, what I don't want to do is try to make me sound smart. And that's, right. I want them to just get easy information and then go, go compete. No. And this, the whole process that you just went through, you're trying to learn the learner. Yeah. Perfect. Yes. No, that, that, and, that's and it's, great. And it's, it's extremely challenging and yeah. maddening at times for me because everybody hears things and maybe they're hearing it, but it's fine. They just don't want to hear it at that time. They're just not open to information. Like some guys aren't ready to do anything different or receive information. They've done what they've done. They've gotten to that point. They've got a couple million dollars because of what they've done. And Chase Lambin doesn't have a million dollars to tell them what to do. Like, mm-hmm. so why would he listen to Chase Lambin? So you've got to kind of bide your time and let them get their teeth kicked in and eventually the, the student will come over and say, man, you know, how can, can you help me? Like, yeah, I can. Sure. Yeah. And well, and, and once they come to you, they're in like they're, they're bought in and, and yeah. that's something yeah. that it's hard for us as coaches because we can literally probably tell them a lot of the time what they're doing wrong and what they need to do. But if they're yeah. not listening, it, it, it doesn't matter. And is this right. a conversation that you ask them? You're just like, Hey, what, what data do you want? How can I help? Things like that it just varies. You know, the one-on-one meetings, you start to get a feel for what they may or may not want as you go up, you know, triple A guys are a lot more savvy and understand the, the data. So it just gets the feel factor comes in where, you know, what we, uh, what, that's, a, that's exactly right. You ask questions, what do what do you want to know and what do you not want to know? And you go from there and you tailor it for each other. Sure. I love that. And, and, and again, it's, you're a guy that is constantly learning and that's been completely evident in the hour that we've been talking and, and so uh, I want to get to know you a little bit better with some different quick hitter lightning style questions. And what's something that you've learned lately that you're really excited about? Oh, man. Like I read something every day that lights me up. But yeah, they're, they're just, there's just so many things coming out right now with the swing that is cool to me because it just affirms my beliefs of, you know, balance and direction. You know, when you get into balance and you want to talk about ground force, you get into ground force mats and uh, force plates and you start to see how the feet work and where the energy derives from. I think that's uh, pretty interesting to me to see the, the footwork of hitters and how they stay connected to the ground and what that looks like and what that looks like on a, on a force plate and you know, what it looks like in the lead hitters and, you know, heel engagement and things like that. I think that's pretty cool because it, it, it affirms my belief of, of, of the lower half being paramount when it comes to, to swinging the bat. So I'd say that right now. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Cody and I were actually having a conversation earlier about that, and, and he mentioned the ground. I said, yeah, the ground's pretty important. Otherwise, we would just float into space. So I, I'm totally. definitely – Totally. Everything I'm, comes I'm, from the ground. Yeah, absolutely. You've answered this quite a few times today, but if you went to – if you say you're in the middle of this season and you show up one day and you're like, hey, guys, we're doing this today, and they this this is something that you know that they would love, what would that be? I mean, they always love to compete. I think the competitions, they, they have a blast with, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, I did something towards the end of the year this year when I kept trying to, to get ahead of the perceived vertical movement, you know, with guys with high spin rate and how we – it's tough. It's tough to hit. And so I was trying to create training environments, and I I finally just put the hack attack on the ground with no legs and uh, fired it up at them 
you know, about belt high. And they, they, the hitters finally were like, that's what it feels like in the game. That feels like the ball's you know, coming at an upslope. So I got good responses from that. They loved, you know, trying to, to match angles with, with, with that. And uh, what else do they love? I mean, every, every hitter's got his different tastes and flavors. Like some guys love to get really challenged in the cage. Some guys just want regular flips down the middle and they just want rocking chair swings. And you got to respect that. Like, I mean, there's a lot of great big league hitters that don't do anything crazy challenging in their preparation. And that's, that's fine with me. I'm not going to like hold a guy's head underwater and force him to do, you know, super challenging things, especially I understand how fragile a hitter's psyche is. And the last thing I want to do is mentally crush them at three in the afternoon when they have a game at seven. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, everybody's got a different flavor that they love to do. Sure, and on a little bit different topic, something that that I have been on a soapbox about lately, and that's we want to set up an environment that mimics the game as much as possible. And tell me, mm-hmm. tell me what you think about this too, because I'd love to hear your opinion. But I think there's also a time for that, like for your easy flips before a game, because if you're playing 150 games in six months, it's just you're going to be swamped. And all you're going to be mm-hmm. under is a constant state of stress if we're doing it all the time. Yeah. So I, I think that we all need to think about the time of year that we're in, about the players that are literally playing every single day, every single week, and uh, try and gauge it instead of just beating them over the head with it all the time. Because I, I absolutely 100% agree that it makes us better. And if we can mimic the game, it's going to make us better. But I think if we see it too much, we're going to, again, be in a constant state of stress and, and it's going to make our reaction slower. It's going to make us tired and it's going to have mm-hmm. negative effects on us psychologically. Totally. I mean, there's a point of diminishing return for anything. And I think yeah. that that's the feel factor that comes in with I've, I've played full seasons. I've, I've been in the grind. I understand what a travel day feels like. I've ridden on a bus for 10 hours and then had to go play a game. So I, mm-hmm. I take all that into consideration and I don't, I don't tailor every day to be super challenging. Some days are very, you know, it may not just be traditional overhand BP, but it's a fastball machine set up at a comfortable speed, set up right down the middle, mm-hmm. you know, with no angle. So I'm very cognizant of what part of the year it is, you know, whether it's a travel day, how the guys are doing. Like I constantly have my finger on the pulse of the team to make sure I don't just crush them. I, I almost to a fault, like careful about not just running them into the ground because I think it's, you know, this, if, if some's good, more is better. I think that's crap. Like you gotta, you gotta have some feel as to what is, what is the right amount. I'm right there with you. I think that's, that's very smart. And so, you know, next question would be, and th- this is something that, that it's, uh, I, <laughs> I actually, it, I have a good story behind it, but it, what's something that you believe that other coaches may disagree with you about? Because I think that, that again, we all have biases and we're all like, are on this pendulum swing between sensationalism and we go from one side to the other. And, you know, a couple of years ago we're saying single suck and now we're like, man, on base mm-hmm. percentage wins games. And then we're like, you know, mm-hmm. never bunt. And then you get against the shift and then you're bunting for single. And it's like, ah, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, tr- I firmly try to live somewhere in the middle, but you know, what's something that, that you believe that other coaches may disagree with you about? Oh man, that's a tough one because I don't feel like I have, I feel like every there's no right and wrong is what doesn't does not work. So I don't I don't get offended like by that. anybody else's opinions. There's certain things that maybe like stick in my craw a little bit. Like I don't necessarily like when people say let it get deep. I think the party's out front. I think the contact <laughs> points off the front foot or or in front. That. I mean the 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 metrics say that extra base hits and damage is done in front of six to 12 inches in front of home plate. So mm-hmm. let it get deep is not a word that comes out the sentence that comes out of my mouth very often. <laughs> And obviously I'm passionate about the, the mind and the body. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the mind body connection to where the body follows the mind. And I think, like you said earlier, there's a lot of people that just completely ignore that and they want to just go into movement patterns, which are absolutely play into pitch selection and timing. But I feel like the body follows the mind and it, and uh, you know, what comes check, what comes first, the chicken or the egg. So some people would argue that all it is is getting in certain positions at a certain time. And if you just figure out the, movement patterns you'll hit. And I, I would disagree. I disagree that, you know, a, a perfect swing and a lack of conviction is going to get beat by a flawed swing and clarity and conviction. So I think that'd be, I, I debated with people. I mean, I think I debated with Cody about it to where I don't think I'm right or he's wrong. I just think it's a different approach to how we, to how we teach and coach and look at, look at hitting. Sure. And, and again, it, it's something that 
that is really good. And, and again, it's it's. I like that that you said that you don't necessarily get into debates about it because there is no right or there's wrong. There does it work or does it does it not? And and that's something that I think we, me as a guest or me as the host and and our listeners can take definitely from you. And and so say that we we showed up tomorrow and we watched you throughout a training session. What, were, what would be some things that you would hope would stand out or, or what are some things that, that you've started to notice that you do a little bit differently or, or that you say quite frequently or things that you work on on a uh, consistent basis? Sometimes people watch me and I, I feel like I'm letting them down because I don't say it. I don't say a lot. And it's, 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 and it's uh, deliberate. I, I, I feel like you know, I'm not going to verbally vomit on a kid and, and make him a better hitter because of what I say. So I, I if you're coming to watch me, it's going to be upbeat. It's going to be enthusiastic. There's going to be music. It's going to be insanely positive. There's going to be some challenge and challenge to it. Like I like to create some sort of uh, stress or tension, but I mean, I, I don't have any crazy cues or anything. I mean, I, I say the things that you've probably heard other people say were, you know, hold your finish, eyes at contact, Stay through it, you know, take your barrel to me, uh, control your head. I mean, I, it, it just whatever the hitter, that particular hitter, maybe a key that, you know, resonates with him, I'll repeat it. And, but that keys come from him, not coming from me. Like I'm not the, I'm not the puppeteer where I'm just like making and sustaining these hitters. Like I'm an assistant to them to where, you know, if your cue is uh pink elephants, I'll tell you pink elephants, you know, like mm-hmm. whatever your cue is that maybe has had given you success and whatever, your drill that you get you right, you know, it's, you, you like to hold the barrel and hit the ball with the knob and like, let's, let's hit some balls with the knob. Like I, I'm an assistant to the hitter and I, you know, I kind of work for them as a, the other way, as opposed to the other way around. So I think if you were to watch me, it'd be upbeat, positive, enthusiastic, encouraging, and pretty simple. I love that. And, and that's something that I, again, you can, you can tell, that your players love to play for you because of those different things. And and finally, we're going to end the show with with a favorite book or resources question. And, and you, again, you started the show with some fantastic coaches as resources and mentors. And, and so are there any, you know, books or resources or videos or anything that comes to mind that you, that, that has helped shape you as a coach? Yeah, I'm avid reader. And there's some books that have really made an impact on me that Coach Robichaud, demanded I read it once I got into coaching. It's a book called Inside Out Coaching. It pretty much breaks down transformational versus transactional coaching. Mm-hmm. And it's where I develop my pillars of coaching, which is to coach through empathy, kindness, and service. So I'd probably familiar with the transactional versus transformational differences to try to be as transformational as possible. That book was a hugely impactful for me. Another one is uh, The Way of Baseball written by Sean Green. I read every book there is, every Harvey Dorfman psychological mental skills book in the world, but that was the first one I read that was written by a hitter that's mm-hmm. been in the box that it felt the demons creeping in and how to handle those demons in the moment in the box. And I think it just, it combines Eastern philosophy with baseball. And I'm, I'm kind of, I'm into Eastern philosophy too. So it's about finding stillness and calmness and controlling your ego and being present, all these things that are hugely important when it comes to hitting. And I feel like it extended my career by like five years. I read it when I was about 30 in AAA when I was batting about 120. And um, actually, you know, I, I rattled off a couple more really good years. So that was really impactful. I mean, I've read it 10 times, maybe 20, and it's half the things highlighted. It's like it's in my bag at all times. It's like my, my little hitter's Bible. But mm-hmm. And the last one is, is Slight Edge which is a book about the success curve and how small habits over the course of time is what separates successful people from unsuccessful people. It doesn't look like much and, and, you know, you put them side by side in the beginning, but over the course of time, your habits and your deliberate approach to your day is going to lead to either you succeeding or not succeeding. So I think slide edge, the way of baseball and inside out coaching. I'll tell you what, it's, it's funny that you mentioned the Sean Green book. I picked it up about, I've heard from a lot of different sources that, that it was something to pick up. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll get to it eventually. And I started it about four days ago, and I'm almost done. Like it, it was, it's an unbelievable book to read. And I, I, I'm a baseball guy. I mean, I, I grew up around the game for forever, and, and I have no idea why I did not pick it up and read it sooner. And, and the listeners know that uh, how big of a reader I am, too. And, and I mean, it's just, yes, I'm right there with you. It's a fantastic read. And, and it's so interesting to get to hear 
that perspective from it because you know like Harvey Dorfman is an amazing psychologist and did a fantastic mm-hmm. job with so many people but to get to see mm-hmm. the battle within whenever you're standing in a box and all of the different things that he went through to try and get himself ready uh, all the different coaches who had a positive or negative impact on him and and that's something that man I yeah. that has been probably my favorite book that I've read uh, in a while and so de- uh, definitely encourage our readers to go and do that and pick that up because it really really it will resonate with a lot of us that are working with players now and and for players uh, that are listening too but Chase man I I appreciate your time and truly inspiring conversation and you made me want to go pick up a bat and start hitting some balls and uh <laughs> and i mean it's it, seriously it's it's 9 30 at night and i i'm fired up i don't know if i'll be able to sleep for another couple hours but if our <laughs> if our listeners want to get in touch with you just about anything that you talked about today what would be the best way to do so i'm not a huge social media guy like all i'm i'm on is facebook and you can facebook my name i think i'm the only chase lambert on the planet so you just type in chase lambert and friend me or message me or I guess that's the best way to get a hold of me. I'm an open book and I, I obviously love to talk hitting. I get passionate about mm-hmm. it. So yeah, if you got any questions or you, you know, you want to reach out and, and uh, I always tell younger people that you, you know, you need mentors in life. And if I could be a mentor to anybody out there, I offer up my services because this game's you can't, this, you can't play this game alone. You, you need a stable of people to, to support you and guide you to get through this thing. So if I can be that person, great. If not, go find somebody that is. I love that. And, and that was a great place to end it. But I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to open up the mic for you. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? I think just play the game with joy. My father told me at a young age, if you, if you play hard, respect the game, and have fun, you got a chance. So I think you know, keep things in perspective that baseball's, you know, Coach Robichaud would always say baseball's is what we do. It's not who we are. So, you know, it's, it's not your identity. It's not, you know, you're not. Your identity isn't your batting average. Just, you know, try to keep that in perspective and, and approach each day with, with a deliberate purpose and play with a smile. And, and I think that's uh, what got me to this point. I think I've, I've been blessed to experience some unbelievable things in this sport. So that'd be my advice to, to young people and to young coaches is that, you know, we're not, we're not robots. We're just humans trying to have a good time playing a sport to entertain people. So enjoy it. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.